Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's your daily dose of Donna. Happy November. We have made it to a new month. New month, new goals, new life, new shows. Hi, everyone. Welcome. I hope you had an amazing Halloween. Shockingly, given the amount of candy, pizza, and wine I drank last night, I'm surviving. Like, I feel, you know, a single mom who works two jobs. Who loves her kids? Well, none of that is really true. I'm not a single mom, but um, but I'm a survivor like Reba. And I see all of you guys jumping in here. Thank you so much for being here. And so many new subscribers since yesterday. You know, Jeff Lewis is just a hot topic. Anytime I talk about Jeff Lewis, it's just like it goes all in, right? People go all, all in on the Jeff Lewis train. Ah, I'll I'll touch on just like a little something that happened on Reddit. I heard someone in another Facebook group posting. So we'll talk about that. But there's so many other big things that we have to talk about today. Number one, if you haven't yet joined the Facebook community, and also I will have a Patreon episode coming out later today that I have to record at some point. So um, as we get close to this BravoCon experience, I've decided you guys, just to keep you guys abreast, abreast on my plans, I've decided to uh, forego my Friday ticket. And only I'm going to Vegas, but I'm, I will only go to BravoCon on Saturday. And I think the reason is because um, I'm overwhelmed with it. So, you know, I'm going to Vegas with a girlfriend who is not <clears throat> a Bravo addict at all. She's going just to get a- away on a girl's trip. We landed around 10 or 11 a.m. And so I just like, I was thinking to myself, I was like, am I really going to check into our place and then immediately peace out from her and go alone to the to the convention. And we have dinner reservations around 6.30 that night. I was like, it's too much. I'd rather just hang out with her, walk around, do some things, and then go to Cabaret Me Friday night. And then Saturday, I'll spend some time at BravoCon just to see it and get some footage for you guys. And then Sunday, I'm flying home. So just to keep you guys aware. And actually, I'm selling my ticket to the Paige Javis, who is a... Um, She's a a chump. She's one of Jeff Lewis's chumps. So I saw on another person, Sarah from Jeff Lewis Obsessed posted something in her stories. And I was like, I need to get rid of this ticket anyway. So it worked out. Okay, you guys, speaking of BravoCon, there is no way that we can talk about BravoCon without talking about the big news that hit last night about Ramona Singer being axed from BravoCon. So you guys, I'm going to try to cover this in a way that I don't get myself in any trouble, I want to be very, um, you know, stick to facts of what happened. And I'm going to obviously not say anything um, inappropriate in terms of the words that she used. So I'm just going to use the word racial slurs when I'm talking about what she's saying. And I want you guys to just infer what you think it is, right? That's it. I I don't want to get in trouble. I'm Shannon Bedore. I don't want to be involved. Okay. Although I was thinking about this today when I was working out, I was like, Shannon Bedore is so happy right now. She's like, thank God I'm off like 
the most unwanted person at BravoCon right now. <laughs> like, she's like, oh, Ramona took the cake for me, right? It's like, switch one blonde for another. Um, okay, so basically this is what happened. This Vanity Fair article that came out, which honestly, a lot of you guys agree with me, was kind of a nothing burger, okay? This was an article uh, an article that everyone had assumed was going to come out and just like shock the world, shock the Bravo world. But I think that it really didn't do much or it didn't do as much for the case as they were hoping to. Bethany Frankel is obviously very much behind this and she was interviewed for this article as was Leah McSweeney and Ebony Williams. And then an anonymous housewife or two. But I do think that I feel like what happened was, okay, back when in a very, very high conflict, problematic time in the, in the, in America was June of 2020, right? That was the height of COVID and then George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. So this was a very, very touchy time in American history, I think. and. This was also the season that they decided to not only bring back Roni during COVID, which was very, very hard. And this was heightened COVID. This was not like COVID where you just have to test and then go about your normal business. This is when things were closed and you couldn't really go to like restaurants and stuff. So not only did they bring back the show during this time where it was already a little bit strange, but they also brought, and, and I do think that they were trying to do something that was important and necessary, which was to bring a black cast member onto Roni how, and they had never had one before. So this was a big deal. Ebony Williams was cast in this, in this um, new cast of Roni. And this was the cast that Leah McSweeney was in and Ramona Singer. And of course, Sonia and, um, and uh, you know, the, uh, I think Dorinda was in that season too, or maybe I'm wrong. Was that Dorinda's pause season? Luann. Okay. You guys will have to tell me. I, I'm not a walking dictionary about the cast, but this was in this Vanity Fair article. The one thing that I think was groundbreaking or surprising to a lot of people was how Ebony and a producer on Roni had complained that Ramona had used the N-word. Okay. Um, in a way of describing, this is how it was written about. This is not my take on it. In a way of describing a similar, in, in Ramona's mind, word that is used in Yiddish. Basically, she said, shiksa is a non-Jew, and that is a Yiddish term. And when Ebony said, I don't know what you're talking about, Ramona said, it's similar to blank. Okay, number one, I'm not a Yiddish expert, but shiksa is definitely not similar to that word. Because you can say shiksa without getting, you know, in any trouble. Like, it's definitely not a derogatory word, and it's not from what I know. From what I know. So, this was said, apparently, on top of multiple microaggressions that Ramona had made towards Ebony. And then also there was a black producer who would work, who had worked on the show and no longer works in that universe. So this all came out in this Vanity Fair article. I think at this point, there's two things that happen. I think one person, one, one 
portion of the readers of the article were not surprised at all because Ramona, like I even explained, is like, she's very problematic, right? In so many ways, not just in this racist way, but also in a way of treating people like an elitist, right? She talks really badly to towards servers and towards what she calls like the help. And we've seen this over and over and over. We've heard accounts of people saying that Ramona is awful. She forgets people's names. I remember she was on two teas in a pod and she said that she couldn't remember Teddy's name. This is who she is. So I think a lot of people were not that shocked and I'm going to be one of them. I wasn't that shocked to read that she had used, you know, uh, some, some words that were clearly wrong. I hate to say it, but I just wasn't. It would be weird if it came from maybe, um, I'm trying to think like someone else that I just wouldn't expect it from like Lisa Barlow. I just like wouldn't expect it from someone like that. But with Ramona, it just felt just not shocking at all. But then what happened was since then she used, she texted a page six reporter. So page six announced about this Vanity Fair article. She, they said something along the lines of, we are having, you know, Ramona's kind of in hot water. And instead of Ramona going to a publicist or going through her people or just not saying anything at all or a lawyer or whatever, what she decided to do was go to the page six reporter, which she obviously has a relationship with that she can text. And she texted essentially this, and this is gonna be hard to say, So I'm going to try to read this out. She texted a screenshot of the page six article that talked about how she used this word. And Ramona texted it to the page six article, uh, the writer saying, this never was on the hot sheet. If you read the Vanity Fair article, please remove. And the, the page six reporter says that was changed yesterday. So I guess page six had reported something was on a hot sheet, which is like a, at the end of the day production document and had reported that, but it didn't, it wasn't accurate. So page six did change that piece of information. And then Ramona says, this is also upsetting. I don't know if she says this is also upsetting or this is all so upsetting. I don't know which one she meant, but she wrote, this is also upsetting. And she says, and the word I used was, in quotes, N-word, not, and then she begins to spell out the N-word with the first three letters and then does dot, 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 dot. Okay. Page six, post the text. So I don't know what in the world, who's, who's working for Ramona here in the sense of like, Ramona just doesn't think before she speaks. She really does not have a filter. And we've seen this so many times, right? But at this point, now that she not only had the, the you know, Vanity Fair feature, and that was a, uh, that was a complaint within, you know, the production studios, Shed Media, Warner Brothers, Bravo, NBC Universal, et cetera, even though singer Ramona Singer denied using the slur at the time, And the internal investigation came out with the inconclusive results. So nothing was actually, it wasn't that she was cleared, but she basically wasn't, she didn't have enough evidence to find her guilty of using that word. But then when she sent this text to 
this page six reporter who then immediately posts it because this person is a page six reporter. Now Bravo Khan immediately has removed her from their panels. She's no longer on the app or in the website. And that's that. So basically, Ramona, like, she she created a problem and then she doubled down on the problem. And had she not said a word or had she said something a little bit more um, like PR and politically correct in her in her apology or her explanation from this and not immediately went to a reporter, she probably could have looked a little bit better here. I think the fact that she's so easily able to type out those words, even though she didn't type the word, but she typed part of the word, it just feels like just not a good move. It's just not a good move. Okay. Now I, I, I do think that there's a generation of people out there. I know a lot of them who are in that 60, 70 year old range and maybe above who aren't really like hundred percent on top of like things that are just inappropriate to say. I know a lot of these people, older people, right? And I think Ramona kind of falls in that category. So the whole thing sucks for her, but also is the right thing to do. And I know that a lot of you guys, I've seen your DMs. This is a very 50-50. There's a lot of people that are like, obviously she should be kicked out of BravoCon or like not be, you know, at the event. And then a lot of you are saying, you know, this feels like we're really, you know, BravoCon's really like nitpicking. But here's what I think. Right now, all eyes are on Bravo and BravoCon and NBC Universal because of this reality reckoning, because of Bethany Frankel and all of these other things put to light that if they put her on the panel for entertainment, for press, for fun, with all this bad press, this would be just more fodder for anyone that is a hater on Bravo. And this would just give more people angst around the whole situation. And I guarantee there would be drama. There would be some other housewives that have taken major offense to her words. It probably wouldn't be a good move for Bravo or for Ramona to be there. So in in a weird way, this is kind of saving the ability for anyone to um, like lose their shit. Because I can just imagine that Ramona is going to, you know, say something or people would say something to Ramona. I want to approach a couple comments that I'm getting here. And I think this is important. A lot of people say, you know, my mom is 72 and doesn't use racist slurs. Her age is no excuse. I agree with you. I agree with you. I don't think anyone has an excuse to be racist. I don't care how old you are. I'm just saying that there is a generation of people that have this kind of like ingrained thought. This is just how some people are. And I'm not saying it's okay. So please, please don't misconstrue this. I'm not justifying Ramona in any way. I'm just explaining probably who she is. But I'm not going to, I'm going to pull out of this conversation just like, uh, you know, anyone would, because this is a conversation that I don't want to get caught up in. I'm right now as a Jewish person, the target of a lot of hate online. So I understand this feeling of like being careful what to say and who to say to what and how much people's words can hurt. I do not want to be a part of this. 
right? This conversation. Obviously, what Ramona did was wrong. And no one in the world who has any sort of sense of, of, you know, anyone that is like a fair and equal thinking person and believes that everyone should be treated equally would never believe that Ramona did the right thing. So that's what I'm going to say about that. But that goes for all people, right? We're saying that, right? Because I'm going through a lot of hate right now in my DMs on and on comments. So I'm very sensitive. I'm very sensitive and I feel a little bit um, like, I'm standing up for everyone, but who's standing up for me? That's kind of what I feel like in this moment right now. So this is really tricky, but I do 100% believe that BravoCon did the right thing and Ramona is going to have to slither away. What's going to be tricky is that she has Girls Trip coming up and this is the legacy cast that we're dying to watch. And so this cannot stop that show from airing. Will you guys still watch it? I want to make sure that you guys will still watch it. I will still watch it. Like, I'm able to. Okay. Get so nervous. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. It's like so not who I am. I'm really not like out to create that kind of drama at all. Um, but I will talk about Bethany. <laughs> oh, gosh, you guys. So let's move on a little bit, like segue from the Bravo Con and Ramona story. And let's go into... Um, the Bethany. Okay. Bethany has, is now clapping back at everyone. She's clapping back at Ebony, Ebony Williams. Cause Ebony basically said, let me pull up the exact quote. Ebony said when she was in this, in this article, she said that, um, someone asked like, are you going to be joining uh, Bethany Frankel's war on Bravo? And Bethany responded, you think I'm going to let some white girls speak for me with my experience with a multi-billion dollar corporation? Well, I don't personally enjoy being called a white girl. So I'm sure no one really wants to be called that. It feels like a little bit like a Mary comment, like little girl. I don't like that. But my, but Bethany basically was insulted, I think by Ebony and probably wasn't the nicest thing for Ebony to say, but the Bethany haters out there really enjoyed that comment. And then, um, and then Bethany clap back, of course, because Bethany doesn't know how to just like let sleeping dogs lie. Remember with her Raquel interview, every time anyone would talk about it, she, she released another podcast about it, going back and talking about it again and whatever. But she did say this. she sent a text message or she posted a DM in her Instagram stories and says, and it's a DM that Bethany had gotten from Ebony back in 2020, you guys, June 3rd, 2020. So I remember June 1st, 2020 was when everyone was posting about George Floyd and the black squares on their Instagram. So this is literally in the like heyday of Black Lives Matter in the top, like the climax peak of it. And I'm sure Bethany had posted something in support. And so Ebony sent her a DM that said, we met on a private flight from Palm Beach to New York City a couple of years ago, just thanking you for consistently using your platform for tangible change. And Bethany never saw it until August of 2022 and says, wow, I never saw this. Thanks. And I'm sorry so late. And that was that. So Bethany said in response to Ebony Williams telling me to F off, basically, and she posted that. And then Williams reshared the story and sniped back, pulling out a receipt from three years ago, back when you focused on philanthrop philanthropy instead of thirst trapping on other people's hardships. <sighs> Guys, 
It's just, it feels like extra, extra drama now. Like it's taking away from everything. It's taking away from the important part. Now that we're going to, we're fighting with each other, right? If Bethany is going against Bravo and Ebony wants to go against Bravo, there should no, be, it, it just, it murks the waters. Now they're going at each other. And I don't like when race is being brought up. It's exactly what, you know, I, I just don't get it. I don't get why we're bringing up race. I don't personally think it's the right thing to do when the whole issue is that Ramona did in a bad way, right? Now, I'm seeing here a comment saying, as a black woman, Ebony calling Bethany white girl is not offensive at all. She could have said worse, but she's too classy to say anything worse. I think what Ebony is trying to say here is I'm a black woman and I'm speaking for a black woman's you know, situation here because this is a race-related thing. So I don't want a white woman to take credit for my fight, which makes a lot of sense. That part makes sense. It's like you don't really want to hire someone to speak for you when they are not going through your struggle or your situation. Anyway, now it's turning into this kind of like calling each other names and it just feels a lot you know, it just feels a little petty. And then, of course, Bethany claps back in her podcast today against Luann and against Leah Black and against all these other housewives. Then she went after Ariana and she always says this. She always says, um, she always says uh, something about the uh, soldiers. That's what she says. She goes, oh, they're just being perfect Bravo soldiers right now. They're being perfect Bravo soldiers fighting for the cause and saying that this is okay. And this is, I'm sorry, why is Bethany trying to get everyone to lose their jobs? Like here we need, at this point, we need to freaking work on the fact that Bethany is like going out of her way to literally cancel so many people's careers. And it doesn't, it doesn't bode well for anyone, right? What is this doing for Bethany? The reality reckoning should be focused on and solely on residuals, insurance, payment, fair treatment in terms of the work that you've given, the work, you know, that you've shot and get paid for. I love all of that. I think that's the goal of a union. But like how many drinks were given on set? It just starts to become so like, what is going on here? I just, I don't really get it. I don't know. I don't know. For me, it feels like digging a hole. Now, a lot of you guys think she's really doing something and she is doing something. Clearly, we're talking about it. And, you know, none of these people are perfect. That's for sure. But do you think the Vanity Fair article did as much as it did? That's my question. I think the only person that really got screwed, and I'm not saying this because I'm sad for her, please, please don't hear what I'm not saying, but is Ramona. Like Ramona is really the only person in this entire Vanity Fair article who's taken some like ramifications or or some um, punishment, right? No one else. Bravo's fine. Like Bravo's still going on. Bravo's still doing their thing. So, you know. Um, okay. I'll talk more about this on Patreon a little bit more openly and like talk about some of your comments because I think your comments are really, really good and I hear them and I see them. So I just want to make sure that um, I I cover more of it. So I'll go deeper into this. I'll go deeper into it. Hello. 
Um, but we have so many other stories and I am on a time crunch today because I'm appearing on another podcast. So let's keep it moving. Um, Lindsay Hubbard, you guys, Lindsay Hubbard finally is opening up about hers and Carl Radke's breakup. She's the Summer House star. We're going to be seeing her at BravoCon this weekend with Carl on the same panel. So I really, really want to, uh, I want to talk about it and I want, I mean, I want her to talk about it and I'm glad she's having kind of an ability to talk about it before she has to, you know, talk about it publicly with so many different people. But she basically says she was completely blindsided. It blew up her entire life. Or she says, he blew up my entire life. She was crying. She was angry. She had to find closure on her own. And now she feels good about moving on because it's been a few months since. Um, she said the first month she was she went through all the feelings, the sadness, pain, all of it. She processed by talking to friends. She hated the way that Carl handled anything, everything. She thought it was a complete betrayal. And, um, and because of that, she thought it was easier to pick herself up because there was no kind of uh, – confusion about the kind of guy Carl was for her, right? She says she had no idea this was coming. They were fighting normally, but nothing that would break them up. She had no idea. She said the last two weeks of summer, his demeanor and his tone changed. There was a lot of combativeness and aggression on his end, and she was very confused by it. Um, but they were also planning a wedding, which is high stress. And then she basically says about the breakup, it was completely humiliating. Um, it was one thing if the conversation happened over the summer during the normal firing filming schedule, but for Carl to call up producers and then set up cameras and manipulate her into sitting down after we'd already wrapped is scary. The whole world found out within 30 minutes of me. Yeah, that sucks, you guys. They had already wrapped and then he called back producers and went back on it. Um, okay. She said she went to her friends. Uh, she and Danielle are now close again. We know that. She says that Kyle has always had it out for her. He thinks she's some master manipulator who controls the universe. He's good friends with Carl. Anyway, this, the conversation keeps going on. She says sobriety had nothing to do with it and that, um, you know, she basically is uh, – let she let Carl kind of handle all the logistics of calling off the wedding at the end. Um, she's still in the apartment and she's not thinking about where she's going to go. She sold her ring and, oh, they were supposed to get married on November 17th. And she said she's going to write a book. Are we going to write, read Lindsay Hubbard's book? Anyway, she feels stronger. Now she's looking for a new guy. Okay. It's kind of good. It's kind of good. She's like ready to go. Um, okay. Let's keep going. I see your guys' comments, and I'm trying so hard to stay focused. We need to talk about – I wanted to talk a little bit about Winter House, but the truth is nothing really happened. Winter House was this um, – you know, was a second episode. They're just kind of building conversation. All we know is that Tom Schwartz has now arrived. This is a few days after everything kind of opened up about the Tom Sandoval affair when they shot the show, and this was a few days before his reunion. So that's kind of when he filmed it. That's really all it is. It, it, he has a little bit of a thing for Katie, the girl from Below Deck. Nothing huge is happening. There's some hookups. It's not really that interesting, so I'm not going to focus so much on Summer House. I mean, on Winter House, but we will talk about 
Real Housewives of Salt Lake City because holy crap. So I went out last night. I was out trick-or-treating and hanging out. I had friends over here and we were, you know, staying up late watching World Series and whatever. But I got a DM or a text from my friend Aliza and she's like, watch Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. It is so incredibly good. Like two unhinged jaw-dropping moments. And I was like, ooh, what could it be? So let me walk you through a couple of things that happened in Salt Lake City. At the beginning of the show, we see <laughs> – you're trying to think what the first couple scenes were, but let's just like start talking about Whitney and Jay. Whitney and Justin, her husband. Number one, Whitney and Justin think that they're Kourtney Kardashian and Travis Barker in the way that they're dressing all in black. They're like goth. Did you guys notice that they're like black on black on black on black? Whitney's got like a pleather pant on and Justin's got a hood on and a black hat. And, um, and again, we're trying to freaking milk these two for a storyline about something, and it doesn't make any sense. Their conversation is literally about the fact that she's throwing a birthday party for her 13-year-old, and he says, I'm working that day. And she's like, what? I didn't know. I didn't know you're working that day. I really wish that you would have uh, shared with me, and I'm going to be planning two events, and so I'm going to need your help. And I thought to myself, Oh my God. I thought to myself, how in the world? Number one, Whitney, I see your house. I see what's going on. Hire, hire someone to help you. I'm sure you have an assistant. Hire someone to help you throw a freaking party. And number two, I just told you that Lance missed trick-or-treating last night because of production. A lot of times people have to work. <laughs> it's not like the most groundbreaking thing you've ever seen in your life that a dad has to work on the actual birthday. This, it, a kid's birthday is not a day off for the parent. It's never been a day off for me. It's never been a day off for Lance. And my birthday, my own birthday is not a day off if I'm working on a job. So this is insane that this is even a conversation. He's like, I'll pitch in where I can, he's, he says. And she's like, thank you. And can you please schedule therapy, Jay? Love you, Jay. So they're going to therapy. Okay. Add it to the list of everyone on the show that needs to go to therapy. It's literally everyone. The next conversation we have is with Heather and Mayor and Monica. And these two big boobs, you know, boobs out. It's like, you know how they say like sun's out, buns out, or guns out, sun's out, guns out. Like I forget what. It's like, like snow's out, tits out. Anyway, they went to... um <laughs> they went to some sort of like a uh, gorgeous, you know, snow area. They're doing all kinds of little driving or snow activities. I don't know. You guys, I'm a California girl. And then they end up having this really kind of vulnerable conversation where we saw in the trailer already. But Monica, it opens up to Heather that when she was 12 years old, her mom took her and dropped her off at a house, a family in Pennsylvania. Now that's kind of all the details we get about that family. I have a couple more things that I'm going to add. But then she says she moved to New York to pursue her dream and left me in this house. My dad abandoned me when I was four. And then my mom abandoned me when I was 12. And no wonder I have all these abandonment issues. Okay. I, Donna Bowling, am the first to admit when I am wrong about something. Hi, my name is Donna Bowling, and I was dead ass wrong about Monica's mom. Because within the process of two weeks, we haven't had a new episode in two weeks. So from Greek Easter to sun's out, tits out, or snow's out, tits out episode, I have 
not only discovered, but I'm confirmed and like putting it in stone and pledge of allegiance on the fact that Monica's mom is the most toxic mother on any of these shows that we've ever seen. Monica's mom is on another level, level. It is crazy. You can't write this shit. It reminds me of that movie. Something about Monica's mom really does remind me of this movie. Do you guys remember that movie with Susan Sarandon? Oh my God, it was one of my favorite movies. Susan Sarandon and Natalie Portman. And Natalie Portman is Susan Sarandon's daughter. And they they grow up in a very small town. And Susan Sarandon decides that she wants to be in Los Angeles. And she wants to either be a star or she wants to be famous or whatever. And they move down to... Um, you know, uh, what's it called? They moved down. Oh, you guys see a glare. I see that. I wonder where that's coming from. Hold on. Let me, let me see if I can fix something really fast. There we go. There we go. Um, anywhere but here is the movie. Thanks JJ. So anywhere but here is the movie. And it is such an on point movie about a toxic mother. Please go watch this movie. If you want to see it. I felt like I was watching this movie. So basically, Monica opens up to Heather, and I can totally understand. Now, we know from according to according to Monica's mom, who released a video on social media, because that makes sense, to explain about it, she basically said, I didn't drop my daughter off at some random family. This was our neighbor from Arizona. And she knew this family very well and she loved this family. And I thought to myself, I don't give a shit if you are obsessed with your family. That ain't your family. We all know how many times, how many of you guys had those best friends that you spent all your time with when you were a kid and you would go and like do sleepovers at their house all the time. Or maybe people would come to your house. Friends would come to your house. I would love them. I would love being at their house. I would love their parents, but they were not my family. Like it was never home, right? It was as close to home as you can get, but it's not home. And so to know that her mom dropped her off with any family that wasn't hers to go pursue her dream, which we don't even really know what it was. Was it to be an actor? Well, I mean, we don't know, but it sounds like it in New York City when the girl is 12 years old. So we find that out. Now we're going to switch gears a little bit. We did have an Angie and her dad scene, but like there's something about Angie's voice and I'm trying really, really hard to be, you know, uh, kind about this, but like, oh my God, Angie's voice like, hi dad. (laughs) I don't even know how to do it. Like, would you like some wine? Okay. I guess I have to serve you. Like I have to serve my husband. I mean, it was like, like fast forward. Angie was not necessary in this scene at all. Then we go over to, um, then we go over to Lisa Barlow. Now, Lisa Barlow had such amazing moments in this in this episode. This is the episode that we find out where Jack Fudge College Barlow is going to go on his mish. We find out it's also not called a missionary with these people. They're, it's, it's a mish. It's like pre-mish and post-mish. Did you guys know that? Did you guys know that every kid in America has shortened words for everything? For example, sus is suspect. And my kids told me riz means charisma. So if someone, hey, you've got riz, that means like they've got charisma. Do you think my kids have any idea what charisma means? No, but they tell people they have riz. So Jack and all his mish friends, they talk about parents being there for them pre-mish and post-mish. The way I was like, this is too good. This is just too good. So, um, so then, uh, okay. So then in this moment, 
Jack and and Lisa, they start talking about the fact that he's going to find out where he's going for his mesh in a couple of weeks. And she's going to throw this huge party. And she's like, what if I don't know if what if you don't get into anything, Jack? And he's like, it's going to be OK, mom. It's going to be OK. So they end up I'm just going to, you know, cut over a couple scenes, but they end up having this party. Oh, my gosh. This was so good. Lisa is the queen of making it all about her. Right. Lisa is the most. uh in, it, I will go back to the Angie thing in just a moment. You're right. I do need to talk about Angie's husband, Shane. Is it Shane? Sean. Sean. So, um, so anyway, she, uh, she's talking about, um, you know, this missionary and she's like, it's such a big deal for me. It's just like my son and I, and I, and I, and he's like, but me. And she's like, but me, <laughs> it's the craziest thing. So, they have this party where it looks like literally the entire high school is in their living room and they're at the front of the room and he's about to announce to the entire com- group of all of his friends that he has, you know, he knows where he's going. And Lisa's just like, I- I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. I can't handle it. I just am so nervous. And she ta- he takes the letter and he opens up and he's like, first of all, Mom and dad, I just want to say thanks so much for being so supportive pre-mish and post-mish. And um, I really appreciate all of it. But here we go. Here's where I'm going. And it says, you know, Jack, you're going to your mish at in Columbia. Lisa, <laughs> she starts covering her mouth. <laughs> These sounds are coming out of her mouth. She has no idea what to do. She's literally freaking out. And I can't tell. As a viewer, I'm like, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Are we happy or are we not happy about Columbia? Like, I don't know. And then she has a confessional moment that is just amazing, which basically says, I just was expecting that he would go somewhere like New York or Europe, but Columbia, I mean, he's going to be held up at gunpoint. My friend's son has been held up at gunpoint almost every single week. And so what he does is he has a little cash. We'll have to give him cash because he has a little cash. And he just pulls it out every time he sees a gun. And he goes, here you go. And that gets him off. So it's going to be a little bit, you know, nerve wracking. But I'm really excited for him. It was Amazing. It was so good. It was so good. I'm like, this is the best story ever. Can someone get a reality crew to follow Jack on his mish? I would like to see. I want it just to be called Mish. How do you spell Mish? M I S H? The Mish. The Barlow Mish. Fudge Mish. Fudge. This is the name of the show. Fudge College. Hello, Mish. It's going to be so good. I'm obsessed with that family. I don't know why I can't get enough of Lisa Barlow. I just can't. She's such good TV to me. So then we have a scene. I I will go back to Angie really fast. Angie did have a moment. I love Angie's dad. And I said that last week too. I think he's phenomenal. The fact that he's 80 years old, that they have a good relationship, that he comes with good values. He raised all these kids alone from nothing. It sounds like he was, he's a really good dad and that is wonderful. But there was a moment, right? Where Sean comes home and he doesn't even like She's sitting, Angie's sitting alone with her dad talking about that she never is alone with her husband. She never goes on dates with him. She never has alone time. They've just like not been able to find the time when, uh, meanwhile, she's sitting there alone with her dad having a date. Like she's on a date night with her dad. 
but she doesn't have time to do this with Sean. It's so confusing. Where's the daughter? Again, so much money in that house. Why don't they have someone that babysits? Go out on a date. If you wanted to, you would. So anyway, Sean comes home and he gives this like awkward, like, hey, how are you? And she's like, hey, hi. And the dad is like, you know, hardly saying hi. Okay. And he goes, I'm going to go shower. She goes, I guess I should serve you like I do my dad. And he's like, uh, okay, um, I'm going to go shower. Have fun, guys. And pieces out. Probably never came back downstairs. And then they cut to the dad making this weird ass face. And Angie goes, want some fruit? That was their entire appearance in that episode. Then we have, uh, well, we had a little ski accident, another like snow scene. There's a lot of snow scenes between Meredith and Monica and Heather. And I'm trying to remember, was Whitney there? And this is where Monica's sharing her story about her mom to, all, to everyone. And um, Meredith is talking about her near fatal accident. Now, I love Meredith and I love the humor about Meredith here. I really, truly do. And she says to me, she says to me, um, or she to me, she says on this that, you know, actually this accident was near fatal because the, my life did flash before my eyes when I was about to get off, the, when I saw myself going off the cliff and then the music and the editing, these editors are just chef's kiss, Right the editing kind of slows down and quiets. And she says, and to think that my last conversation was like that with Angie. I mean, Meredith is so dramatic. I freaking love, love, love Meredith. I love Meredith. I love Lisa. I like, I love the housewives of Salt Lake City. I really do. I think they're a great cast. And I know you're going to kill me here, but I actually still truly enjoy Mary. This is crazy, I know. But just like some problematic housewives, I like watching Mary. She's not my friend. I don't want to be in her greenhouse, green carpeted house. I don't want to have any kind of connection with Mary. But when Whitney decides that in part of her helling journey is to go on a date alone with Mary, who legit hates her. Like Whitney doesn't, Whitney, you know who Whitney is? This must be a Utah thing. Whitney is Mary. Brown. Whitney is to Mary Cosby like what Mary Brown is to Cody Brown. Get it? It's the sister wives connection, y'all. Whitney does not want to accept that Mary doesn't like her. She believes that part of her healing is being able to get Mary to be on her side. She thinks she can break through this wall, just like Mary Brown thinks that no matter how many times Cody says, you disgust me, I want nothing to do with you. Mary's like, I think we're going to work out. They're both lost. So when he goes on the helling journey on this uh, to the restaurant, right? This is a helling dinner and she's sitting there with her and Mary is immediately like a little like, oh, why am I here? Right? She's already cold. She's already tough. And Whitney's like, I think we can do this. I, I'm really glad that you you came here, Mary, because I thought that we could maybe talk about everything. And and then the second that they have like a little bit of a connection, my cheersing wine, the waitress, <laughs> the waitress comes over and spills her plate on Mary's lap. Now, not completely, but like enough for a drop. And Mary, I think that turned Mary. She was like, huh, little girl, waitress please get out of here, right? She was pissed. 
So it turned her immediately. And Whitney starts to say, you know, I am so, so sorry that I got into a situation where I started being mean and talking about you. And, but I also think that you need to apologize too, which by the way, I'm just going to say something. Whitney needs to stop assuming that everyone needs to apologize to her, even if they do. Sometimes you should actually all the time. I don't want to be the person that has to tell people to apologize to me. I want you to tell me I'm sorry on your own accord. If I have to force you for an apology, it doesn't feel good. Like what what do you really expect when you're like, please, please, please say you're sorry. And then the person says, I'm sorry. And you're like, "Hmm, good, thanks. I feel better. No, it's so ridiculous, right? So Mary's like, I'm sorry. I have to apologize for the way that you talked about me. That's not going to happen. And Whitney's like, well, you do need to take a little accountability. And Mary's like, I'm not taking anything. No, no, that's it. I'm done. And it just, the hilling journey is going up a hill because it's not working, right? We're struggling. We have big hills and obstacles in this hilling journey and it's not working. Mary is not interested in Whitney. She doesn't give a crap about Whitney. She cares about getting her food in that box to take it to Robert Jr., Robert Sr., Robert Jr.'s wife, and probably more family that lives in that house that we don't even know exists. But like, you know, they're there, but Mary's not really sure if they're there, just like she wasn't really sure if her son got married. Anyway, I still just think it's so funny. I don't know. We do want, we do need a book of Mary texts, Andrew. I think that's genius. And I think we should do like a dramatic reading of all of Mary's rage texts to Lisa, to Whitney. And I'm sure everyone's gotten them except Meredith, right? Um, what I would do to like pay Robert Jr. to be like, show us the text with your mom. It would be so good. So Mary got up, she was gone. And Whitney was left to, you know, she was left unhilled. She didn't get hilled. So then speaking of Hilling, we literally all got abused watching the scene between Monica and her insanely toxic mother at the dinner from legitimately hell. They go out to dinner to talk about what happened at Greek Easter. And Monica felt like her mom didn't have her back. And now looking back on it, I get it. I was wrong. I thought, wow, well, she wasn't very nice to her mom. But her mom sucks, right? Her mom sucks. And she, um, and she, okay. So anyway, she went to the, um, she went to the dinner to kind of confront her mom. Oh, we find out earlier in the episode that, that Monica's mom, her name is on the car that Monica currently drives and pays for. So I imagine Monica just had bad credit or something because it reminds me of like when I was, you know, a teenager and my mom had to kind of get a credit or like get the car under her name or co-sign. But this is really insane. So I guess when the mom was pissed, she pulls the car, which I don't even know how you do that, but she does. I guess she goes and just drives it off. I don't understand. So they go to this dinner And immediately, it's just insanely over-the-top, hysterical crying by the mom. (laughs) And it's all fake. It is, like, so dramatic. This girl's, this woman's goal in life was probably to be a celebrity in New York City, and it didn't work. And so now she's like, I'm on Bravo. Like, this is my moment to shine. So she starts to cry. Then she says, oh, my God, I need aspirin. And Monica's not falling for any of this shit. She's like, I've seen it before. You cry to me, you scream at me, you yell at me, you you try it all. You're mean to me. I will not do this. I will not handle this. The way that you talk to me is like I'm a kid. And the mom gets escalated. She gets pissed off. And then she says, 
eat your food. I'm going to eat. I'm hungry. Do you have aspirin? And then gets mad again. Her mom is not taking, from what we're seeing, her mom is not taking any, any, um, what's it called? Any uh, accountability for anything that she did when Monica was a kid to screw Monica up. She may think that just by saying, sorry, okay, I'm sorry. Like, can, can you forgive me? Maybe she thinks that that's enough. But just to give you guys a little bit of like context, I had a situation with my dad when I was a kid, multiple, multiple, multiple situations with my dad where horrible things happened. And when he got old, when I got older, I approached him about it and he said, sorry, he said the words, but the word is just a word and it's actions. And when you don't see that the actions stand up to the words, when you realize that like, it's easier to say sorry, but it's not easy to actually change your behavior. At that point, you close off to their, like to forgive them, right? I was never really truly able to forgive my dad. And so this is the, the situation that happened um, in, in this case, it seems like. She's like, I'm sorry. Like, what do you want from me? I'm sorry. That is the worst way to say I'm sorry. It's almost better not to say I'm sorry than to say, like, get over it. Right. So her mom is pissed off at her because she feels like she's constantly going to be vilified by Monica, by her daughter. And she thinks her her daughter will never get over it. And she doesn't realize that the, the damage is already done. It's done and it's gone. And Monica's mom is still holding strong. She has a wall up to here to not be able to show her vulnerability and say, I am devastated over our relationship. I am devastated over the fact that we're not getting along. I wish more than anything that you and I could be a good mother and daughter. What can we do to fix this? Because I know that I had, I played a huge part in this and, and I am so sorry. And don't say, and so did you, Monica, you played a huge part in it too. Because I do think that it takes two to tango in these situations, but the mom is so problematic. You can't have a community. You can't communicate with her clearly. And the fact is, and someone just said this, Storm just said this, and I think this is very important. I really don't believe that Monica or Monica's mom are 100% good people, no matter what, because Monica is, is part of the problem here. You're going to put this on your show. You're going to put this on TV. You're going to air your mom's dirty laundry and your horrible relationship on TV. You know who I would do that with? Only one person and one person only. Someone who I didn't give a shit about. Not someone who I actually wanted things to get better with. Like my mom and I, we've we've um, clashed over the years because we both have very strong personalities. I would be devastated if my mom had a bad edit on a TV show that I asked her to be on. Because I care about her. Because I know she's a good person. Because I love her. I don't think Monica loves her mom. I think Monica hates her mom. I think Monica's mom hates Monica. I think they both really dislike each other. And yes, it's a cycle of abuse. They're both doing it to each other. And Monica believes that she can quit the cycle by not doing it to her daughter. And I'm telling you right now, she's on a reality show airing this all. She's doing it just as bad. Because to air this personal dirty laundry of your drama with your mom, who's your kid's grandma, and you're putting yourself out there fighting with women and whatever, it feels, how can their kids, how can Monica's kids feel like they're not also involved in this? It's just bad. It's bad all around. So Monica, if you really want to break the cycle, like maybe get a real job and don't get be on a reality show. Like don't air your dirty laundry 
for a paycheck because it feels very much opportunistic like your mom did when you were 12. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's depressing actually for anyone out there that has a bad relationship with a parent. Um, you know, a lot of us do, but especially if you're a woman and you have a toxic relationship with your mother, there's something about that mother daughter relationship that is very triggering for people. And this is going to be hard. It's going to be a hard view watch for a lot of people. And I hear it only gets harder. So we'll have to see what happens. Who do you guys think are the most toxic Bravo moms? Like grandmas, right? We've got Dr. No, we have um, Deanna. What's her name? Deandra's mom. Remember with the skincare from uh, Dallas? We have Tamara's mom, Tammy Sue's mom. We have, um, oh my gosh, Lydia's mom. Do you guys remember Lydia on Real Houses of OC? Lydia's mom with like the fairy dust. And she was the one that was yelled at by Brianna's husband. Um, who else? What other crazy moms have we seen on these shows? We saw Kelly Dodd's mom, but I don't think she was like that out there. Um, I'm going to have to keep thinking about it. Oh, we always, I love Jill Zarin's mom, but that's because I love a good Jewish mother. Um, Big Kathy, you're talking about, oh, Mama Joyce. Yes, Mama Joyce. Dr. Dr. Deb. Oh my gosh, you guys, this is good. We got, we got to like uh, do a dissertation on the moms of the moms of Bravo. Really interesting. Um, okay, so let's see what happens, you guys. Let's watch what happens. I am jumping off here because I'm, I'm going to be a guest on Morgan P. Talks, Morgan Talks podcast. We're going to be talking more about the Vanity Fair article, so I'll let you guys know when that comes out. And of course, thank you for supporting me, and thank you for understanding when we're talking about touchy subjects. And I'm trying my hardest to not say anything that hurts anyone's feelings, and if I do, please just tell me kindly what I did, and I will try to change anything I possibly can. Oh, Kim Zoltiak's mom, Candace's mom, Bronwyn's mom. Oh my God, Mama Elsa. Oh, you guys, it's so good. All right, you guys, love you from one mom to all of you mommies. See you guys later. See you tomorrow. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.